Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. You to turn with me, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And while we're turning there, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks in Jesus' name for your holy written word, knowing that we can trust our lives to its provisions. As we study your word together, we invite the Holy Ghost to be our teacher and to be our guide. We thank you, dear Father God, for quickening us according unto your word, enabling us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost and for making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to proclaim with accuracy and boldness this knowledge of the truth that makes us free. We'll give you all the glory for it, knowing that your word will not return to you void. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every believer is under an obligation by divine mandate to walk in divine love. In John's Gospel, chapter 13, 34, the commandment is that you love one another. That's the New Testament commandment. And, of course, we understand that to be divine love, agape love. We'll talk about that in a second. But a commandment is not an option, but a duty. It's an obligation that we all have. In other words, God expects it, expects it of us and demands it of us. So we are under a divine mandate, obligated to Him to walk in love and practice love and make His love our aim, our goal. In Galatians 5 and verse 6, we are told, you can just write these down, it's a little bit of a review. We are told that in Christ what really matters is faith that is energized by love. And we know that faith is very important. Because without faith we can't be saved. Without faith we can't please God, we know that. But faith finds its energy in love. Actually, faith works by love. And what I'm going to do maybe sometime down the road is share a little bit about this. Very often we think, boy, if I'm going to have a strong faith life, I've got to rid myself of fear. Because we know that where fear is, there is no faith. And the way for me to have a strong faith life, obviously, is to rid myself of any fear that I may have. So if I develop faith, it means that I'll be rid of fear. Well, that's not true. See, too often we go about it the wrong way. Because it's perfect love that casts out all fear. Isn't that what the Word teaches? So in order for one to be strong in faith, it's important to understand love. And to develop love in our lives. Because that perfect or mature love is what casts out all fear from our lives. And when there is no fear, what is there? Faith. And we'll expound on that at a later time. In the book of Colossians 3 and 14, and you can write that down. We are told that love or agape love is the golden chain of all virtues. It's the bond of perfectness or the mark of spiritual maturity. In other words, if one's to be spiritually mature, he's going to have to learn about this divine love and walk in it. Putting on agape, which is divine love, is the bond of spiritual maturity. And so it's important then if we want to grow and develop spiritually, to grow and develop in love. Because God is love. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, we have discovered that agape love is our basis of operation. As a matter of fact, if we don't move or operate in the realm of divine love, then here, as the Scriptures teach, our life is meaningless before God. In verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not divine love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm reduced to what? Nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, what more can you do than that? Can't do much more than giving your body to be burned. And have not charity. In other words, if that's not the foundation upon which my motives rest, well then, 
it doesn't profit me a thing. So you see, love, divine love, is to be the motivating force behind all the activity of my life and also all the activity of the body of Christ. So God judges the intent and attitude of the heart more than He does the deed itself, doesn't He? Absolutely. It's the attitude in which we did something. Well, then we went on to say that if we desire spiritual manifestations, look at 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Follow after charity or divine love. This is the true pattern. If one really desires to be used of God in the realm of spiritual experience, then the pattern to follow is this. Follow after charity. Eagerly pursue divine love and have a desire, an inward desire for spiritual manifestations. And the reason for that is this. These gifts of the Spirit are really manifestations of God's love. And when we hook up with God by hooking up with love, then God's love flowing through us will be made manifest in various ways. These ways we call the manifestations or the gifts of the Spirit. In other words, God wants to help somebody so much, He moves upon your heart in a supernatural way. And as you respond to that and yield to that... There is a gift in operation that blesses somebody else. And you see, the motive behind all that was what? Divine love. It's because you love somebody so much. He enables us to really extend ourselves or be extended because it goes beyond our own limitations, doesn't it? See, we're limited in our own abilities. But when we yield to God in love, He enables us or allows us to be used in a way that surpasses our own abilities. And supernatural abilities enhance our natural abilities, and people are blessed by it. And that's a wonderful realization. Well, there are different kinds of love, we said. And really, man is able to love at different levels. If the mind of the individual is not equipped with the knowledge of God's love, then the love that we have in our lives can be misguided. And God doesn't want that. We've got to learn how to flow with the highest form of love, which is divine love, which is agape love, and fill our minds with the knowledge of how it acts and how it operates, so that the love that we have in our lives is not a misguided love and a misdirected love. We said that there is eros in the Greek, which is the lowest form of love, and that is a physical sexual type of of love. And we all have that as human beings. God made us that way. And it's a definite form of love, without a doubt. We said that there is storge, which is compatibility. It's a love that's based on compatibility. If you're not compatible with somebody, you can become irritable with each other, toward each other. And therefore, you kind of figure, well, I may be attracted to that person, but they make me irritable. We all have different personalities, don't we? We all have our own human frailties, don't we? We don't like to admit that all the time, but we do have our own, you know, human imperfections, don't we? Absolutely. Well, sometimes we just rub each other the wrong way. But you may, maybe you didn't intend to do that. It's just one's personality as opposed to another's personality. God made us unique beings, didn't he? We're all different. And in some cases, we're not compatible with each other. Well, does that mean we can't get along? No, it's one thing to disagree, but we don't have to be disagreeable in disagreeing. Right? Absolutely. We can still maintain a good attitude. And in situations, we can become compatible with each other. And if we can't, it still doesn't mean we can't love each other. We just may not be compatible and shouldn't go into a business operation together or something like that. But um, we can still be friends, can't we? Absolutely. And if something rubs me the wrong way or rubs you the wrong way about me or about you, then we should overlook that and just realize that we're different individuals. See? But if you're at a different level of relationship, like in a marital relationship, then those things have got to be ironed out, don't they? They've got to be worked out. Or if you're in a business relationship with somebody, you should work out some of those incompatibilities. But to think that you young people out there, you're going to find somebody out there that's your perfect mate, and by perfect you mean flawless? <laughs> Smile real big. <laughs> that person doesn't exist. Jesus left the planet. Do you remember that? He left. They saw him go. He's the only one that qualified. As far as your perfect mate, flawless, without any imperfections, is concerned. 
In other words, you're going to, whoever you end up with, you're going to have to work out some things in your life, your lives together. Because, as I said, we're imperfect beings in a fallen state. And so, although you may not be compatible in all areas, you've got to work some of those things out. We'll move on. There is phileo love, which is based on feeling and emotion, affection, sentiment. And it's governed by feeling and emotion and sentiment. You have these feelings towards someone. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We are creatures of feeling and emotion and sentiment. And we know that it's a very active part of our individual lives. It's a part of our makeup and character. And we are capable of loving at that level. You may have feelings toward one that you don't have toward another. It doesn't mean you can't love the other one. It just means you don't have those particular feelings toward that particular person for whatever reason. The thing about this kind of love, it's okay. It's, re it's, it's a love that's responsive, but it can respond negatively as well as positively. And in the realm of human experience, that is what we've called the highest form of love. Man loving responsibly is this highest form of love based on his feelings and emotions, his sentiment, his affection. And that's why in relationships of marriage, when people come together and they base their relationship on a sexual attraction and compatibility and also this phileo type of love, this affection that they have emotionally, you know, with sentimentality toward each other, that's wonderful, but something happens somewhere along the, the line and all of a sudden those feelings begin to change. And then when they begin to change, instead of continuing to promote love in that relationship, all of a sudden selfishness begins to take over. And as those feelings change, attitudes change and motives change, and before you know it, they're at ought with each other, getting further and further away from each other. Why? Because they haven't allowed their spiritual condition to be governed by this thing called agape love. It's the highest form of love. When this kind of love is at low ebb, beloved, there has to be a higher principle behind love that holds two together. And that's why God said, until death should they part. In other words, when two come together in a marital relationship, if that love was based on agape and not phileo, then even though feelings may wane, and seemingly disappear because of situations that may occur. There is a stronger principle upon which that murder relationship is built. And it's called agape. Because you see, agape has the idea of love that is governed by principle and not emotion or sentimentality or feeling or affection. And in short, to put a relationship back together that's been hurt or even devastated because of selfishness or wrong actions or motives... Here's a real quick formula for success. When love is at low ebb, we have to realize this. The first thing one must do is make a decision to love. And that's based on the will of the individual. It's not based on his feelings or emotions because supposedly they're gone, aren't they? And so you make a decision to love from the heart, which is based on agape. It's the ability of God within the spirit of man to love someone the way God loves that person. And even though conditions may not be favorable, you're still loving with this thing called agape, which is deep-seated, rooted inside your heart by an act of the will, a decision. And then you go through the actions or the motions. That's part two to this real quick plan or formula to put marital relationships back together. You begin to act out that love by doing those things that you should do out of love. And we'll see some of those things here in a, in a minute. And then the third thing to line up would be what? And final thing to, to line up would be what? Feelings and emotions. First, it's based on the decision of the will to love the agape way and not to destroy a relationship totally because you're under a divine mandate by God to love each other with agape love. The second thing you would do is to put that into practice by going through the motions of love. And then thirdly, feeling will come. And that's the last to come. What people are waiting for is emotion to come and feeling to come back first. And that's not the right way to go about it. See? And so let's remember that, and I think it will help us in our relationships of marriage. I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And I want to explain a little bit about this agape love with regard to it being governed by principle and not by feelings or emotions. 
How many of you know that God is the lawmaker and not man? And God is the principal maker and not man. And that our lives are to be governed by the lordship of Jesus Christ and the lordship of love and not by our own feelings and emotions. How many of you also realize when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, it meant that you also are not in control of your own life? That you are giving yourself over to the Lordship of Christ and that you're not going to exalt yourself up above His leadership in your life. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that what we said we were doing when we made Him Lord of our lives? Absolutely. We denied self to take up our cross and follow who? Self? (laughs) No. To follow who? Jesus. Absolutely. And put Him in control of our lives. And so you see, agape love is based not on feeling or emotion, but it's based on principle. And God is the principle maker. God is the one who is the lawmaker. So regardless of my feelings or my emotions or my sentimentality or my affections, I am to be ruled by the love of the lawmaker, the principle maker. Exodus 20 verse 17 says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. I want you to notice that that is a principle that God ordained. It is a commandment. It's a law that the lawmaker handed down to humanity or to mankind. Thou shalt not covet what is not yours. Well, agape is governed by principle and not by feeling an emotion. And if someone has feelings rise up in his life or her life, and sentimentality or a natural affection toward another person who is not your mate, who is someone else's mate, such as thy neighbor's wife, and I'm sure it means thy neighbor's husband also, is the life to be governed or ruled by the feelings that he or she has? Or is the life to be ruled and governed by the mandate of God? God's love. You say, but you don't understand how I feel towards this person. I know. I know exactly what you're saying. But your life is not governed by your feelings. Your life is governed by the Word of God and by the love of God. And you're under a divine mandate to keep the law of God, the commandment of God... And he said, Thou shalt not covet covet thy neighbor's wife. And that reminds me of the story of the individual who was finding himself deeply in love with an individual who was in the church, who was in the choir. And just took a long time, but finally got around to where he talked to the pastor about it. And he shared with the pastor about his deep love towards this particular individual who was in the choir at church. He loved God, he served God, but he had these feelings. Because, you see, we're natural human beings. And natural human beings can have natural feelings. And these feelings developed within his life for her, and she didn't even know anything about it. But he went to the pastor and told the pastor of what his intentions were, you know, what they were. That he wanted to go to her and share about this love that he had for her, and wanted to know if he had the pastor's okay. And the pastor said, no, just forget about it. Don't even talk to her at all. And he said, well, Pastor Wilde, I don't understand it. And he said, well, because she's married. Period. But what am I going to do with my feelings and emotions? She's married. See, feelings are real, aren't they? And if we're not careful, we can allow feelings to develop in our lives that are not necessarily governed by the love of God. You can have a love for a human being. You take another principle. We're not to be unequally yoked together with non-believers. Is that not a, a principle from the Word of God? Isn't God the lawmaker? Didn't He say that? You see, when we try to tell individuals, be careful when, when you involve yourself with non-believers. People are not trying to be hard. It just means this. If you hook up together with a non-believer, you can fall in love with that non-believer. And for the most part... You can be even deceived into thinking that that non-believer is going to make a, a true decision for Christ. Because, you see, that's what you want strongly inside your own heart and mind. And I, I've been in situations where people have pretended to do so just to get the girl or just to get the guy. And then on the other side of the wedding ceremony it was, I'm not going to church anymore. 
You can read the Bible if you want to, but just don't bother me with it. I've got you now. What's he got now? He's got a wonderful Christian wife who's not going to leave him, not going to cheat on him, stand right by his side. That's exactly what he wanted. He got it, and he can have his cake and eat it too, he thinks. And that's why God says in his word, don't be unequally yoked together with non-believers. That's a principle. Now, I would say this, if you get yourself involved that way, you need to be careful before you say, I do. You better make sure that they're born again, spirit-filled, faith-walking, tongue-talking, love-practicing, living epistles of the living Christ, known and read of all men, and they have proven themselves. Amen. That's just the principle from the Word of God. I didn't write it. He did. Amen. And as far as thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, that's what he said. Didn't he? Absolutely. And it includes his goods and everything else. But what I'm saying is feelings are real, aren't they? Emotions are real, aren't they? They're genuine. And you can have them. But you see, if they govern our lives and if they rule our lives, then phileo love is the highest form of human love is really going to take over. And we're not going to be led by agape. Our love can be misled, misdirected, and misguided if we don't understand agape. And how it operates and how it acts. Turn with me to another principle that really helps us better understand agape. Look at the book of Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, and we'll begin at verse 18. <clears throat> agape does not ignore principle. But agape puts principle above sentiment or emotions. Or feelings. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, this is Romans 12:18, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil. But overcome evil with good. This is another principle of agape. It's a divine principle that says you can overcome evil with good. So don't be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember God said to love your enemies? Here is a way to demonstrate that love for the enemy. If he is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him to drink. For in doing good deeds to your enemy... You'll pour heaping coals of fire on their head. This is a way, in other words, to win your enemy over by love. To win them to the cross of Christ through your love. And I want you to turn with me to Luke 6 where he said that so we can have a full, clear, concise understanding of what it really means to love and to give to your enemy. In Luke 6, we'll begin at verse 27. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Now the natural tendency is not to do good to those that hate us. If we went by feeling or emotion, when someone hates us and they demonstrate that hate toward us, we don't respond in love, naturally. Our feelings will rise up, they'll get our dander up, and I'll tell you what, you know, we'll want to give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Right? I never, I never forget this. See, we all thank God for Brother Hagin's life. I never forget the one time he said, this fellow came out, this pastor came out, accused him of doing some wrong deed. Now, he's many years in the ministry. I forgot, I, I've come a long way, praise God, after seeing this. And he said, this fellow wanted to come and he accused him of, of, of stealing his sheep and all that stuff. And he said, the guy was just off the wall with all his accusations and all that. He came out, Brother Hagin was in the car sitting down. And when this fellow came out, grabbed him by his tie, just pulled him like that. He grabbed Brother Hagin that way. Brother Hagin reached under the, t uh, under the seat for his tire iron. He did. He actually did. Because, you see, the natural tendency in his life, since he was weak when he was young and growing up, he couldn't defend himself because of his incurable condition. And all that. And before he got divinely healed by the power of God, he was very weak. He says, I couldn't even run. He said, the girls cannot run me. I couldn't run away from anybody. Anyone want to beat me up? I was just, I was so weak, I couldn't even run away from them. 
And so when the boys used to beat him up, what he used to do is just wait in the alley with a, with a two-by-four. This is before he got saved, of course. And he'd wait in the alley with a two-by-four. And he said, I hit him in the head when they walked by. And if he didn't die, it wasn't my fault. That's what he said. He was so angry. He was angry at God. He was angry at the world. He was angry because of his condition. Never ran and played like other children. He said he had a, a two-by-four. And if the guy didn't die, it wasn't his fault. That's what he said. And so when he reached, after being an older Christian in the Lord, reached under for that tire iron, that was the old man rising up, wasn't it? Want to knock him in the head with that tire iron because he was pulling him out and making these false accusations. And what I'm trying to say is if you think your feelings are ever going to go away, forget it. As long as we're in this body, we're going to have feelings and emotions, aren't we? But you see, the thing is, he didn't respond to that. He let go of the tire iron and just began to, you know, talk in love and walk in love. And that love won the fellow over in the end. But that's what he's talking about. Your feelings don't want to do that. But we've got to learn how to be governed not by feelings, but by principle. And here it says, love your enemy by doing good to those that hate you. Bless them to curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. We're to, we're to do good. We're to love them. We're to bless them. We're to do good to them. We're to pray for them. And to him that smites you on one cheek, offer also the other. Him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. still talking about your enemy. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you have love, if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them, now notice, lending of them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But now look, but he's saying, love your enemies. Can you imagine this mandate? Do good and lend to your enemies, hoping for nothing again. Wow. And your reward, see, you'll get a reward, but not from, necessarily from your enemy. Your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Kind. To the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful. Now he tells us to be kind to the enemy. He tells us to be merciful to the enemy. Even as your father also is merciful. Judge not. I thought about that. And didn't Jesus say he came into the world not to condemn the world? Judge not. You shall not be judged. Condemn not. You shall not be condemned. Now, what about this one? Forgive your enemy. And you shall be forgiven. Now, see, too often we've taken verse 38 out of context. And we're thinking that it's talking about financial giving. But listen. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. I would venture to say he's talking about giving love. Can you see that? And the same way you give, so shall it be given unto you. So give of yourself. That's what love does. It gives and it forgives, but it also does all this. But you see, that's not a natural tendency, beloved. It's not natural for us to love and bless and give to and pray for and lend to and be merciful to and kind to our enemies. It's natural for us to want to judge them, condemn them, and knock them overhead with a baseball bat. That's natural tendency. But this love supersedes that kind of love. It goes beyond all that. It's governed by principle. And God is the principle maker, not man. Now, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you would, please. And what we'd like to do is maybe give more of an expose on what this love does, how it acts. So that we can better understand how we can develop in this kind of love. Now, don't go reading through this and think, well, this is impossible for me to do. And I'm not perfected in this. Well, the Bible says God will perfect that which concerns us, doesn't it? See, the idea is this. Find out what God expects of us and then strive for it. If you're in the process of striving for it, it's as if you're already doing it in the sight of God. 
you know what I mean by that? Well, newborn baby, it's perfect in every way as far as its body parts. It is growing at a certain pace or, or level of growth and development. God sees it perfect as it continues to grow. When it makes that first blunder by falling, when it takes its first step, God doesn't look at it as a reject and say, you can't walk. Does He? He sees it as being perfect, stepping out as he or she should, and will gain strength as it continues to practice. See, it's perfect, growing, developing, and stepping out, and will continue to grow and develop as it strives for perfection. We're to see what love does, and then we're to judge who? Ourselves. Find out where am I at in love? How much of agape is governing my life? See, and then when you discover it and you judge yourself by it and begin to strive for it, God, and you make that decision, God sees you as being perfect because you've made the decision to do so. And as I said before, God judges the motive and intent of the heart more so than the act. And you know, there are times you may actually do something you think is right, but it's misinterpreted, and instead of blessing somebody, you hurt somebody. You ever do that? I said, have you ever done anything you thought you were doing right for somebody, a good deed, a love deed, and it ended up it was a blunder on your part? I know I've done that, you know, on numerous occasions. You meant it for good, and what happened was it, it, it upset somebody rather than did, did good. But what did God judge, the act, or did God judge the intent of your heart? He saw the intent of my heart and said, I knew you meant to do right, and I knew you, what you meant to do for that person was good. But see, the person didn't receive it that way. Didn't receive it that way, and as a result, they may have been hurt by it. Isn't that something? I've no, I've, I've been there on many occasions. But I thank God He judges the intent of the heart and not the actual deed that took place. So you see, that's how God sees it. Here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, I mean, it wouldn't have been fair of Paul to tell us that God wants us to walk in this new kind of love and not tell us what this love is all about. And so here we have an expose on this new kind of love, and and uh, we can. Learn about it and begin to grow in it and strive to be perfected in it. Remember, love is the bond of spiritual maturity and perfection. Also remember this before we look at it. You know the people of the world are not governed by agape? How many of you found that out? They're governed by an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You hit me, I'll hit you. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. Right? You do good to me, I'll do good to you. People of the world are not under this divine mandate. As a result of their not being under the divine mandate, you can't expect them to do what's not in them. We're under the mandate. They're not. So it may seem as though you're the one who has to constantly give, but that's because you're under the mandate to love. And God is love. And God still continues to give for us, doesn't He? And give toward us. They're not under that mandate. And so let's not look at them or view them as having to respond always as we are. Because they're not under it. We are. Charity, and once again, the word charity here, divine love, suffereth long. And is patient, or is kind. In the, in the Amplified it says, and is patient and kind. But charity suffers long and is kind. Let's put that together and say, first of all, charity or divine love. This agape of God is patient and kind. It's not changed by unfavorable circumstances or situations that arise in a relationship. It's not changed by actions that take place that are unfavorable. It's patient means it's enduring. It stays the same. The way you felt about a person... The way you think about a person, the way you act toward a person is not going to change just because of unfavorable conditions or circumstances. They may have done something wrong. Goodness gracious me, oh my. You mean someone did something wrong? See, there are those that have this attitude of heart. You wronged me one time, I'll never speak to you again. You know, that's wrong. What human being out there is perfect? You get two individuals together for any length of time, they're going to rub each other the wrong way in a 24-hour period. At least one time. 
If you try to be perfect in the flesh, you may as well forget it. You get two, three, four, five people together, try to get them to see eye to eye. Eventually, they'll rub each other the wrong way. In other words, I'm not going to change in my feelings toward you, in my attitude toward you, just because you did something that was wrong. It's important for me to know I'm going to be governed by agape love. And I'm going to endure long. And you're going to endure long. We're not going to change... We may have to correct some things, but we're not going to change in our attitude toward each other. And that's what it means. It's patient and kind while it's patient. See, some say, I'm very patient. And while they're very patient, they're not very kind while they're patient. And they let you know that in a quick hurry. But see, God's Word says that charity or agape, yes, it endures long, but it's also kind while it's enduring. No snide remarks and things like that. It is kind while it's enduring. How many of you know that the most difficult place for us to manifest agape is in the home? Did you figure that out yet as a Christian? Have you figured that out yet as a Christian? It's easier to let your hair down at home. It's easier to be selfish in your own home setting and environment. It's easier to want things your own way in your own home. And we're all guilty of that. It's just the easiest place for us to become selfish and just allow selfishness to rule our lives. But God wants us to be patient and kind while we are patient. When you say, why should I give myself to that? Well, put your bookmarker there because we'll be be going back to that, you know, time and time again. But look at 2 Peter. Chapter 3 and verse 15, because this gives us the answer to that. Very often we are wanting to be an instrument that brings others to Christ. We want to live our lives as such that when people see our lives, they want what we have. We want people to be saved, don't we? Absolutely. Well, if we want them to be saved, then we've got to line ourselves up with the same kind of love that saved mankind in the first place. And that is divine love. And this is a characteristic of that divine love that we must develop in our own lives in order for us to reach other people for Christ. And being patient and kind is very important in dealing with other people, especially those that are not of the faith. Why? Because it would be instrumental in bringing them into salvation. And I'll show you that by the Scripture. 2 Peter 3.15 in the Amplified says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord, that is, His slowness in avenging wrongs and judging the world, is salvation. That which conduces to the soul's safety. Even as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the spiritual insight given him. In other words, God endures long. God has a motive behind this. He has a reason for this because as He is enduring with humanity long, not changing in His love or attitude toward them, He knows that ultimately this is going to be the end, to draw them into Himself and to salvation. And that's why God is not judging the world as quickly as some of our prophets of today want Him to judge the world. What's he waiting for? You know, I tell you what, only God could do this. Only God could do this. Look around the whole world and say, now's the time for the Son to come back and bring all men back to me. Knowing that there'd be those that'd be lost for eternity in, in, in the damnation. Only he can figure that one out when every heart that was going to go would be ready and every heart that doesn't want it's not going to. I mean, think about the magnitude of that statement. God is saying this. He wants us to learn to love like He loves and have the same attitude towards humanity as He has because it's His goodness and kindness in demonstration that draws people into salvation. And what He's waiting for, which is why the world's not judged, it would have been judged already. These that want everybody under the wrath of God, you know, where they come from, I don't know. But if you think about it, it doesn't line up with Scripture. God is patiently waiting for more to come into the sheepfold. That's why His hand of judgment is being stayed. 
Can you see that? It gives us a better perception of our God. That's why he's waiting. Even though it may look bad in the United States of America, I don't focus on the bad. I focus on the good. People are still getting saved. People are still hearing the, the gospel being preached. And you know what? The world is still being reached because of what's taking place in the United States of America. And, you know, as long as that takes place and continues to take place, God wants it to be done. And it will continue on. And we can support that and believe God that his hand of judgment will be stayed. Why? So that we can continue to preach the gospel to the world. That's why. That's what God's waiting for. And so, you see, we line up with that. And so the reason why we treat people this way is because we know that as we demonstrate this, this patience and this kindness towards people who are wronging us, that that kind of a response will open up the door to their salvation. Now, turn also with me, if you would, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 2. No matter what the provocation, no matter what takes place, especially in dealing with outsiders, those that are outside of the body of Christ, we put up with a lot and will do so and continue to do so because we know that by doing so, it can work out their eventual salvation. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, a scripture we should all commit to memory. And I'll read it from the Amplified, first of all. Our or are you so blind as to trifle with and presume upon and despise and underestimate the wealth of his kindness? Now, remember this. Love or agape endures long and is patient and kind. Are we or do we underestimate the wealth of his kindness and forbearance and long suffering and patience or long enduring patience? Are you unmindful or actually ignorant of the fact that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repent? To change your mind and inner man to accept God's will? It's not God saying, I'm in favor of the wrongdoing that you're doing. I'm in favor of the attitude that you're demonstrating. No. And it's not you saying, I'm in favor of your, your ignorant attitude that you're displaying toward me today. You're saying, I choose to overlook it. I choose to forbear and be kind because my ulterior motive is this. What I'm looking for in you is the day that you repent and come to Jesus Christ as you see the love of God pour, being poured forth from me. And that's why I choose to forbear and be patient and be kind toward that individual. Now, oftentimes what we'll do is respond negatively and what happens is we can drive them further away from Christ. How many of you know that's true? We can actually drive them further away from making a commitment to Christ if we respond negatively when people treat us improperly. See, they're looking out, beloved. They're looking at our lives. They're watching to see what we do. They want to know if what we have is genuine. And this is one way they can see that it is genuine. Now, does that mean you'll never miss the mark in this area? No. Whenever you miss the mark, you know what? Repent. And ask God to forgive you. It doesn't mean that you'll never, never, never act improperly or respond improperly when somebody mistreats you. All it means is that you've, you're learning about this and that you're going to learn to grow in this. And that when people do respond, you're going to do your best to respond in this kind of love. Knowing this in your mind, it opens up the door to their eventual salvation. And that's why you're doing it. So you see, that's a matter of greater importance than whether or not your feelings were hurt. Is it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, now go on to, I'll tell you what. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again says, and I'll read it there. Then we're going to go back to Matthew 5, if you would, please. Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity, now here's another manifestation of charity. This is how it acts or does not act. It does not envy. It envies not. It is not jealous, it is not covetous, it is not envious. In Matthew chapter 5, it is not jealous, it is not covetous, it is not envious. Divine love that controls the life of an individual is not allowed to be covetous or envious or jealous of what another person has. In Matthew 5, 45, Jesus said it this way. 
that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, God is a good God. God is a generous God. We're not to be envious of anything that anybody else has in life. And what he means by that is this. Even sinners out there in the world, whether you realize it or not, have been blessed by God in such a way with either natural talents and abilities or intellect or whatever, they're using what God gave them for their own personal gain. And they're going to prosper in the way. Did you know that? Boy, I wish I had a voice like so-and-so. I'd be a millionaire right now. Well, you know what? So-and-so is going to have to stand before God one day, and God's going to say, I gave you a voice like whatever. And you know what? Did you use it for my glory and honor? So what good is it to be a multi-millionaire and spend eternity in the regions of the damned? No good at all. God has gifted every individual, beloved. We have what we have because God gave it to all of us. But God intended that we use these natural talents and abilities to glorify Him. Didn't He? Absolutely. And so you see, even though the rain comes upon the unjust and the sun upon the unjust, and the rain and sun is really a blessing, not a curse. We need it for survival. In other words, even though all mankind has been gifted and blessed under God and under His great provision, it depends on how we use the gifts that God gives us. That what's, that's going to determine what our true riches really are. See, what, what, what they are. So listen carefully, beloved. God wants us to, to not be covetous, not to be jealous, even if seemingly the unjust person is prospering in his way. Don't do it. And the reason for that is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And look at verse 6 through 8 with me, if you would, please. It's an attitude that must exist within the heart of every child of God. I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Bible. I believe it's better understood this way. Here is an attitude that we should have. An agape developed will see to it that this is a part of our character, our makeup. Verse 6, 1 Timothy 6, Amplified Bible. And it is indeed a source of immense profit for godliness accompanied with contentment. That contentment, which is a sense of inward sufficiency, is great and abundant gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and obviously we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food, clothing... With these, we shall be content or satisfied. In other words, he is saying that we should not covet what anybody else has. We should not live our lives in envy of other individuals. We should be content with what we have. It's an attitude of the heart that we maintain, knowing that we are provided for and cared for by God. Now... He did not say you could not use your God-given abilities to be blessed in this material world in which we live. He didn't say that. You know you can covet what other people have if you only have a nickel to your name? You can. Or you could be a millionaire and not covet anything. Covetousness is not based on one's financial status. It is based on a condition or an attitude of the heart. And when one just says, I'll get, if I get this, I'll be satisfied. Once they get that, they're still not satisfied. Well, once I get this, then I'll be satisfied. And once they get that, they're still not satisfied. It's an attitude or a condition of the heart. David wasn't satisfied with his wives. He had to have someone else's. God says, I've given you as much as I've given you. And if you wanted more, I'd have given you more. Why did you want someone else's? Didn't he say that to David? To the prophet? It wasn't that he didn't have. He wanted what he should not have wanted. Someone else's property. Someone else's possession. Whether it be 
their gold, their, their status, their, you know, their fame, their fortune, their voice, whatever it is. You shouldn't covet what someone else has. Use what God has given you and develop it. And if people would be more concerned about doing that, I believe they'd get further ahead in the world. Because they'd have divine uh, power working on their side. Divine intervention. And so you see, this is important to know. That God wants us to maintain an attitude within the heart that says, I am satisfied with what I, I am content. In the fact that my God cares for me and supplies all my need. Beloved, I was instrumental in us leaving to go to Ramah. I know that for a fact because... The job that I had just acquired and, and the position that I held and the money that I was making and all that, seemingly we were better off than we ever were in life. And to make a decision to say, I'm leaving all this behind, to go into a, a situation where you're not cared for at all or there's nothing pending. I mean, it, it looks terrible as far as starting all over again in life and all that, giving up all that you have. I'm talking about the equity in your home. You use all that to pay your college tuition and, and to get yourself you know, relocated to another state and all that. I'm talking starting life over again. At a certain age, after you've already acquired a certain amount of things in life. And being willing to give it all up. See, a person who is covetous says, No, I, I, I've got to have this and you know, I'm, I'm striving for even more. I'm not willing to give up all this for something like this. Because they want more and they want more. It's a motivation of the heart. But no, we said regardless of where we're at. Regardless of our financial status, regardless of where I'm at in my position, my job, you know, how many years of employment I have and, and, and all that seniority of what I have, all that, all that is by the wayside. I'll live my life to please God if it means I've got to live in a wilderness and, and He's going to provide manna. God's looking for people like that. Did you know that? I'm going to say that again. God's looking for people willing to give up all things to follow Him. Didn't he tell that to his disciples? When Peter says, what do we have? He says, no man has left house, home, lands, mother, brother, sister. For, for my sake and the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold in this life. But I want you to see something. They left it all not to gain more of the same. They left it all to follow him. See, today's modern generation, when they come to faith thinking, they think... You give, you get more. I'm giving up all to get more of the same. No, wrong motive, wrong attitude of heart. You give all to follow Him. And if follow Him means He takes you anywhere in, in the world, that's where you go. And if you develop a, a, a particular lifestyle in another land somewhere that may not be near what you could have in this land, you did it to follow Him. Great is your eternal rewards. But you know what? In that place, you'll be provided for. I guarantee you, you'll be provided for in that place. You'll have the best of it all right there. That's, that, that you can have there in that place because you gave it all to follow Him. Covetousness will destroy. And if you read on in Timothy there, that's exactly what it says. It will destroy. As a matter of fact, and you can write down the scriptural reference. It's in the book of Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. People who are not using their God-given abilities for God's intended purpose... They're not getting ahead, even, even though they may be ahead in this world. Seemingly, they're not getting ahead as far as God is concerned. Satan desired to have more than what God gave him. He desired to rise up above the throne of God and be like the Most High and above Him. He was not content with what he had. He was not content with his position. And so covetousness entered in his heart. And when it did, it led him astray. It led to his fall and also the eventual fall of mankind. He instilled the same type of attitude within the heart of, of Adam and Eve. And as a result, mankind fell. Notice how horrible covetousness is. And we have got to protect ourselves from covetousness. And agape doesn't allow us to covet someone else's goods, possessions, their name, their title, their fame, their fortune. Covetousness will destroy and it will lead to a person's fall. But I love the way God Almighty Himself treats those who make a decision not to covet. He says, all will be added to you. And you may not get it by self-means, but you'll get it because I promote you. And that brings us to our next point of agape. Agape is not self-seeking, it says in 1 Corinthians. I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. Well, first of all, Luke. Look at Luke's Gospel, verse 18, and then we'll look at Psalms. Because this is what our God does. 
for those who, who truly desire to live with Him in this realm of love. Who truly desire not to be covetous of what anyone has and not to promote Himself in this world. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, beginning at verse 9, Love, agape, is not self-promoting. It is not self-seeking. It's not insistent upon its own rights or ways. It doesn't brag about itself. It doesn't get puffed up. And it does not exalt itself. That's a characteristic of agape love. And this is what I'm to develop in my own life. I'm not promoting myself. I am not exalting myself. I am not making a name for myself. I am not looking to make a name for myself. You know, beloved, there are many, many, many who would have taken the opportunity. And I say this, please understand when I say this, what I'm talking about. To let people know, way back there at Rainbow Bible Training Center, what God has done and what has taken place here, you know, in, in our church. I have never once desired to do anything like that. I have never once sent in a personal statement about myself or about any accomplishment or achievement that took place here when we came to take over the pastorate here. I was contacted by them on one occasion for a particular interview, which was found in the New Breed one year, one month, one publication. And it was written up in there. But that was as they asked about it. But not one time would I ever try to use anything that's ever happened here, let's say, to make a name for myself at Rhema Bible Training Center or with Kenneth Hagin Ministries. I would never do that. Promoting self is not what God is looking for. But yet so many others are just looking to, to use a name or to use a whatever. I don't believe in doing that. If anyone's going to promote you, let it be God. I mean it. Let it be God and nobody else. No one else. And you'll be blessed. And you'll be a blessing to others. In Luke 18, 9, he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. Notice, trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off and not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. What's that saying? Love is not puffed up. Love does not exalt itself. Love does not brag on itself. Agape doesn't seek the applause or the admiration of other men and by bragging on itself. And it also does not seek to exalt itself by pulling others down. Those who do that are insecure. I don't have to pull you down to make me look good. If I have to do that, I'm not operating in divine love. It's not going to work. You know, as a matter of fact, I should rejoice in the fact that you're blessed. I'll tell you something else. I rejoice that you're blessed. God blesses you with the, if you leave here and go to school somewhere or God leads you and you have a ministry that's ten times the size of this ministry. I say, God bless you. Because that was God's intended purpose for your life. You know, some are not content with the fact that, hey, you may go here and just do this. But you know what? If that's all God wants you to do, you did the best that you could do with your life because that's what God wanted you to do. You may not be a Billy Graham. You may not be a whoever out there ministering to multitudes of thousands of people. But you know what? You're just as blessed as they are because you did with your life what God intended for you to do. And you didn't pull somebody else down along the way to try to lift yourself up. God does not take that lightly. He says, those that exalt themselves will be abased, they'll be brought down, but those that humble themselves will be exalted. He will exalt those particular people. See, there are those that wouldn't, wouldn't take over, you know, a, a small Bible study somewhere. They want to pastor a church of 500 right off the bat. There's something missing and there's an ingredient on the inside that's missing. I mean that. See, but you can't have that kind of an attitude and get anywhere in God. And believe me, if you do get anywhere, it'll be self-promoting. I'm not saying you can't promote yourself. You can. And you know what? You can even prosper by promoting yourself. But in the end, you're not going to have a reward. You're going to miss out with God. And that's what's of, of vital importance. I, have to, I tell you what. We're going to close this. But I've, I've got to give... Can I have your permission to give these scriptures?
Amplified Bible, listen to what God said. I said to the arrogant and boastful, deal not arrogantly and do not boast. And to the wicked, lift not up the horn of personal aggrandizement. Lift not up your aggressive horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck in insolent arrogance. For, for not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south came promotion and lifting up. But God is the judge. He puts down one and lifts up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup of his wrath, and the wine foams and is red well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth must drain it and drink its dregs. But I will declare and rejoice forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the ungodly also will I cut off, says the Lord. But the horns of the uncompromisingly righteous shall be exalted. You don't promote yourself. God will promote you. And all those who have promoted self, who are experiencing wealth and gain in this society in which we live... Don't you envy them for a moment. Have no covetousness in your heart. Because it's going to come down before God. It'll fall. But as far as you're concerned, God will exalt you on high. And you're close by, so turn to... I'll tell you what, I'm just going to read these scriptures. I'm going to read them to you from the Amplified. Write them down. Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude. So Jude 16. Chapter 1, verse 16, says, from the Amplified, These are inveterate murmurers, grumblers that complain of their lot in life, going after their own desires, controlled by their own passions. Their talk is boastful and arrogant. They claim to admire men's persons and pay people flattering compliments. Why? To gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions which were made by the apostles, the special messengers of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. They told you beforehand in the last days, in the end time, there will be scoffers who seek to gratify their own unholy desires, following after their own ungodly passions. It is these who are agitators, setting up distinctions and causing divisions, merely sensual creatures, carnal, worldly-minded people, devoid of the Holy Spirit and destitute of any higher spiritual life. But you, beloved... You build yourself up, how? Not by promoting yourself, on your most holy faith, making progress rise like an edifice higher and higher, praying in the Holy Ghost, guard and keep yourselves in the love of God. What promotes you in life? Staying in the love of God. And you stay in the love of God, in the realm of God's love, and you don't take that step over to self-gratification. You don't live to promote yourself. You stay in the love of God, then God will lift you up. There'll be a tendency for you to want to get out of that realm of love and be pulled back into selfishness, but you say no to it. By praying in the Holy Ghost, you keep yourself in the love of God that doesn't seek its own promotion, see, that does not exalt itself. And especially in the business world, there's a temptation there to do that. But you don't do it because you know that God is your judge. And as a result of that condition of your heart, God promotes you. God lifts you higher and higher and higher, even for men to see. He uses you as that example. Now, if there's anything you're going to glory in, beloved, it's found in Jeremiah 9, 24. And I'll close it with that scripture. In Jeremiah 9 and verse 24. For whatever we accomplish in life, whatever we gain in life, whatever we have in life is not because of who we are. It's not because of what we have done alone. God has made us who we are. God has given us what we have. All our abilities, all our talents, anything we possess came from God, sinner and saint alike. How many of you know that God gave people in the world out there beautiful voices to sing? And abilities to play instruments. And abilities to act. And perform athletically. And they make loads and tons of money doing these things, don't they? But you see, ultimately, are they doing... What God would have them to do with their life. That's the, the bottom line question. God gave them all those talents and abilities. But are they being used to promote the kingdom of God and advance His work on the earth? We're not to glory in any of our achievements. Because anything that we've ever done in life is a result of what we got from God. Amen? Now listen to the bottom line. And hold it dear to your heart as you go out throughout this day. And you come back tonight. We're going to talk more about what this agape is and what it does. And try to finish up. On this expose. Verse 24 says in, in Jeremiah 9. But let him who glories. If you want to boast in anything. 
If you want to glory in anything, glory in this, that He understands and knows me personally and practically, directly discerning and recognizing my character. That I am the Lord who practices. I like that. I am the Lord who practices loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Man, you want to glory in something? I know Him personally, intimately. That's what you're to glory in. And you're practicing loving kindness, just as He did in the earth. And that's all we're going to glory in. Amen. Amen. Not self-promotion, but glory in that. Praise God. Let's all stand to our feet before God. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.